Boker Tov, everyone. Hanukkah Sameach. In the uh, story of uh, Yosef and his brothers, which uh, highlights this week's Parsha, uh, there's an entire story that is not told. And that the Medrash and the Rishonim and the Meforshim, even later Meforshim, attempt to fill in for us. There are two basic questions here. What did the brothers think during this entire period of time? There's two decades between uh, the... uh, sale of Yosef and uh, his revelation to them and then the second question is what did Yosef think and uh, perhaps the third question which is the most important is what are we supposed to learn from all of this what is the uh, historical significance that will play itself out in Jewish history regarding these events. So uh, let's look at each one individually. We'll come to some sense of idea as to this background to the main story. What did the brothers think? They come home with a bloody shirt. But they know the truth. And they are not convinced in their heart's heart that they did the right thing. If they were convinced that they did the right thing and that Yosef truly was an existential threat to them, and that he was a rodef, and uh, in uh, Talmudic terms, a rodef, someone who is an existential threat, one is allowed to destroy him, and you can destroy him even preemptively. So why didn't they come home to their father and say, listen, pa, We have a brother, Yosef, and he's always talking to you about us. And he is determined to destroy us. And he's determined to disrupt our family. And he's a threat to our survival. And therefore, we had a meeting of a Bedin, of a Sanhedrin, the ten brothers and we decided that the only way to survive is to execute it and that's what we did but that's not what they told their father they came back and they told their father uh, you know we found his bloody shirt 
Hakirnov recognizes that Yosef's shirt or not. And Yaakov is the one that jumps to conclusions. Yaakov is the one that says, yes, it's Yosef's shirt. Yosef Yosef has been destroyed. It must have been a wild animal. The brothers don't say anything. So the brothers uh, have a little doubt within themselves. They are not 100% sure. They're maybe 90% sure. And therefore, uh, they are very troubled by the fact that Yaakov finds no solace or comfort. The Gemara says, In order for life to go on, the Lord created that no matter how great the tragedy, as long as we're alive, somehow we're able to sequester it, to put it away from us and to continue living. But Yaakov never put it away. Everybody came to Lanachim to comfort him. And he refused any attempt to console himself. So that made the brothers even more uneasy. Because they were aware that if Joseph were truly dead, somehow their father would come to Nechom. Their father would rally. But since that didn't happen, He said, I will come to my grave grieving. So then they were in doubt. What happened here? So the brothers, therefore, deduce they didn't know that, that, that Joseph was dead. They never saw him dead. They only saw him in the pit. And when they came back to the pit, it was empty. So they may have figured out that this caravan of the Ishmaelim, uh, of the Midianim, whoever they were, uh, took him and they're going to sell him as a slave and they're going to Egypt. So in the back of their mind, Yosef may be alive in Egypt. But what do they do about it? They don't want to do anything about it. Because they're convinced to the end 
that Yosef is this threat to their own existence. So it's hard for us to imagine, but you can imagine the tension that exists in the house of Yaakov for 20 years. Yaakov is mourning Yosef. Because every day he tells them Yosef would have done this, Yosef this, Yosef that. They don't want to hear that. Find it hard to deal with. Therefore, in last week's Parsha, the Torah dealt with the story of Yehuda in the middle, because Yehuda, he couldn't take it, he left the house. Now, all of the brothers are, are searching for a way out. The brothers, therefore, when the opportunity arises for them to go legitimately to Egypt, they can't tell their father in the middle of, you know, they get up one day and say, uh, we're going to Egypt. He's saying, what are you going to Egypt for? Oh, we're going to look for Yosef. They can't say that. So they have to have a legitimate reason. When the hunger comes and food has to be purchased from Egypt, so then they have the legitimate reason to go to Egypt. And it's interesting that all ten go. Why do all ten have to go? Could have, two, three of them could have brought back whatever they needed. But none of them want to stay home. None of them want to, you know, it's a burden to them. So they come to Egypt. And according to Midrash, uh, they fan out across Egypt to try and find out if in the slave markets 20 years earlier their brother was sold as a slave. Yosef had erased all of that from the record. You know, Yosef bought Twitter. (laughs) He does what he wants with it. Yosef doesn't want that the Egyptians should be aware uh, that he is uh, a slave, which in Egyptian society was uh, practically to be subhuman. And he has a big fancy Egyptian name, Tzofnaspaneach. And according to Medrash, he advertises himself legitimately as royalty. So you have, therefore, uh, 
this situation where the brothers find no trace of him. And no, no way to figure out what happened to him. The last thing in the world the brothers imagined was that his dreams would come true and that they would meet him again, but this time he would be the viceroy of Egypt and he would have their faith in his power to do with them whatever he wanted. Because that would be a complete admission that everything that they based their lives upon was false. That he was not a Rodev, that the dreams were from heaven, that he is special. So that uh, type of decision was beyond them at that moment. They couldn't come to that. So they're in a tremendous quandary. They don't know what happened to Then what happens is that Yosef puts them into greater problems. He accuses them of being spies. They know they're innocent. But he can construct a case against them. How come all of you spread out? What are you asking questions? He gives them a very hard time. He arrests Shimon. He demands that they bring Binyamin down. So they, they're... They're astounded. What happened? Mazos also Elakim Lanu. What is going on here? So they almost pathetically they say, uh, you know, we're a family. We're from the Hebrews in Canaan. We had two, we're a family of 12. And one disappeared. We don't know what happened to him. And Binyamin is at home with his father. He says, bring Binyamin here to prove it. <coughs> so again, they, they're caught in a web, caught in a, in a trap that they could not deduce, that they can't figure out what happened here. And the interesting is, the thing is that until next week's Parsha, when Yosef reveals himself, they cannot all of a sudden see the key to answer all the problems. And that's why it will say in the Torah, Lo The brothers had nothing to say. They were just blown out of their mind. How could it be? That the reason that we... Uh, persecuted him and sold him, etc., is uh, the will of heaven is that he is to rule over us. So, this is a traumatic shock to the brothers that according to the Mephorshim lasts throughout Jewish history. 
meaning the Jewish people somehow come to conclusions and they think that that's correct their behavior is correct their idea is correct their, their assessment of what's going on is correct and then something happens and it's all blown up it all turns out to be nonsense I mean, we uh, live in such a time, but the time has always been. How, how do we deal with the outside world? How do we deal with our brothers? It's always confused. So that's the brothers. Then there's Yosef. What does Yosef think? 17 years old, being sold as a slave, meaning life imprisonment and the worst uh, situation of degradation in Egypt. What is his response? What does he say going to happen? So, Yosef is resilience. Yosef is the Jewish people. You say, uh, I can't go to your university, I'll make my own university. You say, I can't go to your medical school, I'll make my own medical school. You want to hold me down in poverty? I'll show you. I'll you know. I'll show you how to make money. You have all sorts of restrictions against me. I'll be the Baron Rothschild. You'll have to come to me. It's the history of the Jewish people throughout its existence. That's what the Torah says. Kasher Yanu also can you You say it, you know, you can't. Uh, okay, so I'll do it my way. We'll do it a different way. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be uh, subservient to you. And therefore, the Jews throughout human history are always the driving force in all major changes in civilization, certainly in Western civilization. For good or for better. So Spinoza creates the Enlightenment. Marx creates socialism. We're going to show you. We have tremendous resilience. We'll bounce back the way we want to bounce back. I mean, in our time, 
Uh, Eretz Yisrael is the greatest example of that. The state of Israel. The whole world gnashes its teeth because of us. The New York Times can't bear it. (laughs) And the Jews keep on buying the New York Times. (laughs) So, uh, he is successful. A successful slave. He ends up being a slave by Potiphar, who is uh, the chief executive officer for Paro. And uh, Potiphar says, I have such a wonderful person, let him do all the work. Why should I do anything, right? And Yosef runs the house. And whatever he touches turns to gold. So Yosef is impressed by his success. He starts to forget that he once had dreams. That he once had brothers. He never imagined he's going to see his brothers again. When he has children, he names them The Lord has made me forget everything. I don't remember anything. I don't remember the old country. I don't remember what my grandfather looked like. The Lord has made me successful when I came as a slave and now look at me changes his name don't call him Joe anymore Yossel that's no name an old bad joke that uh, two Jews were born on the Lower East Side and one of them became extremely wealthy and successful and his old neighbor met him and he said to him uh, you know Chaim how are you he said shh my name's not Chaim anymore he said what do you mean your name's not Chaim anymore he said my name is C.O. Stanton he said C.O. Stanton what is that? He said, Stanton is the street I was born on. And C.O. is Corner Orchard. <laughs> so th- that's us, right? And Yosef, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's very happy. And then he rises in this week's parsha to be uh, the viceroy of Egypt. He can run for president. Nobody says anything. So he forgot the whole thing. 
not bothered with the brothers. He's not bothered with his father. Rashi quotes the, the bitter medrash. His father is sitting back in Canaan wearing sackcloth and weeping and he's worried about his hairdo. But that's us. So then the Lord uh, shuffles the deck as he always does. Changes all the situations. So there's a great hunger, a great famine. And Paro has a dream, and that's how Yosef rises. Yosef rises in interpreting the non-Jewish dream, not the Jewish dream. Which is also how Jews do it throughout the ages. We're always interpreting the non-Jewish dream. Paro's dream. And that brings us success. It brings us position. It brings us wealth. And it also brings us the blessing of amnesia. Yeah, we don't know who we are, what we are, why we are, what it, what's the whole story here, not my concern. There's a Jewish billionaire in the United States that owns uh, the New York Mets baseball team. So his sole goal in life is to create the New York Mets baseball team so it should finally win the World Series because the Mets uh, have been less than spectacular over the decades. So he spent now half a billion dollars to buy a team, to buy players. And when he's interviewed, he says that's his life dream. And so he's interpreting a dream from the outside. He doesn't know that there's an inner dream that still pulsates within him. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Yosef, who's in charge of distributing the food in the famine, and one day they bring him the list of people who crossed the border, and he sees uh, Ruven ben Yaakov, Shimon ben Yaakov, Levi ben Yaakov, Yehuda ben Yaakov. So in the Torah it says, Vayizkor lahem esachalomos. He reminded, so what does it say? Vayizkor lahem. Because of them he remembered his dreams. They jogged his memory. All of a sudden he said, what happened to my dreams? (coughs) 
And that brings about the change in his personality. Now he's going to reunite with his brothers, but he's going to do it the hard way. He's going to force them to recognize that they were wrong. If he wanted to, he could have said at the beginning, listen guys, I need you safe. Glad that you came here. Everything. That would not have done it. Because the reconciliation could not have taken place unless the brothers were willing to admit that they were wrong. Till the brothers also recognized the dreams. And that's what saves the brothers. That's why Shimon and Levi, who are not favorably viewed in Chumash Breshis, but Levi becomes the Kohanim, the Levim, the Chashmanoim. And Yehuda will say about it, Meterev B'ni Olisa, you became great because of what happened with Yosef. Because you admitted. So that is also Jewish history. It's also the events in the Jewish world. It's hard to say, but slowly the Jewish people are saying it. At least here in Israel. We don't really uh, want to teach Marx anymore. Uh, we want uh, maybe we should write that Torah is an equal value to other values in the Jewish democratic state of Israel. This is happening in front of our eyes over the objection of the Jewish people. Because it makes the Jewish people admit that they were wrong. And it's very hard in life to admit that one is wrong, especially on a major issue. So that's Yosef. Yosef, Yosef emerges from being Sofnas Paneach to become Yosef Hatzadik. That's how he's going to be remembered. The Egyptians aren't going to remember him. You always hear the archaeologists and the historians, we don't find any record. Sure you don't find any record. I mean, this this Twitter thing is a great revelation. You're not going to find any record. If they could, they would say that Trump was never president. You're not going to find any records. But the Jewish people will remember him. Jews, you will remember Yosef Hatzadik. So that's what Yosef is going through. That's his metamorphosis. 
What is Yaakov going through? So he's going through this tremendous tragedy because he had invested in Yosef, his future, so to speak. It's not that he doesn't love the other children and he doesn't think of their greatness. But Yosef is the Ben Skunim. He's the one that looks like him. He's the most like of all the children. And now Yosef is gone. So he has no future, so to speak. So the Torah says, Vayar Yaakov Kiyeshever B'Mitzrayim. Yaakov saw that there was food in Egypt, so he's going to send the brothers. So the Gemara says, all of a sudden he had a glimmer of revelation that his salvation is there in Egypt. Yosef is still there. And Yaakov had a grandchild. A little girl called Sorach Bas Asher. She's mentioned specifically in the Torah later in Chumash Bamidbor when the count of the Jewish people is taken. So there is a Pulsik, B'Shem Bas Asher Sorach. What is that doing there? We're counting 600,000 and we're counting only males, and all of a sudden the Torah throws in a Pulsik that there was a girl. And her name was Sarah. She was the daughter of Asher. So the Medrash says that she was the one of her, the only one of her grandchildren, of his grandchildren, that stayed with him during the twenty years of mourning. She was his nurse, so to speak. She took care of the old grandfather. But she sang to him every day. And she sang, Ode Yosef Choy. Yosef is still alive. And that's why when the brothers came to tell Yaakov that Yosef is alive and is the viceroy, they were afraid that the news would kill him. It says, Vayofog Libo, right? His heart skipped the beat. He was able to hear it because Sorach Basasher had whispered to him all the time, Od Yosef Choy. So the Torah remembered her. According to Chazal, she lived to see Shlomo HaMelech, the base of Migdash. Because she didn't give up. So Yaakov didn't give up either. And therefore, that's why it says, He refused. He refused to be comforted. It's not enough.
And that's also a lesson in Jewish history. There's always someone, Sorech Basosher, that says, Od Yosef Choy. No, it's not over. Temporarily, it may look this way. They're going to build the perfect socialist state here. The first election, they had 44 seats out of the one party alone. Don't write anybody off. And Yaakov becomes the uh, the symbol of that. That's why we say Odovinu Choy. Yaakov is still alive. Aichi Yaakov. So the Torah set up this incredible story. One of the great narratives of all of human history. To point us as to how to see things in the world. To emphasize to us how God operates, so to speak, through human events. And to give us the strength and the wisdom, therefore, to pursue our own values and our own dreams which are legitimate and to cast aside all of the other side issues which temporarily look important but in the long run of history are not even remembered. So I want to wish you a happy Shabbos and a good Chodesh and a Chanukah Sameach and uh, next week, uh, 10 o'clock again. Thank you very much.